There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Luke's English Podcast is sponsored by Luke's English Podcast Premium. Premium Leplanders. Oh, a new, a new nickname. Leplanders? Lepsters? Uh, premium people of Luke's English Podcast. Did you know that in the Luke's English Podcast app, as well as the category for premium audio episodes, there's a category called pronunciation videos. Did you know that? Open up the Luke's English Podcast app, check categories in the side menu, and have a look at that category called pronunciation videos. There are currently 13 pronunciation videos in there with drills for you to repeat after me. You can see me uh, saying sentences, and there are annotations on the screen where you can actually read the things, and I've tried to um, make it clear uh, which words are stressed and which words are pronounced with weak forms and so on. So there are 13 pronunciation videos annotated like that, plus a new video which I created and uploaded just the other day, and that is a set of pronunciation drills for present perfect simple and present perfect continuous. I just thought that I'd let you know. I'm also working on a new premium audio series which is coming soon. So keep checking the premium category in your Luke's English Podcast app and also on my website. If you'd like to become a premium listener, then go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners. How are you today? I hope you're basically doing all right. Now then, sometimes I get messages from people who say things like this. They say, Luke, when you talk on the podcast, are you talking at your normal speed? Because I can understand everything you say. And also people say this to me. They say, Luke, can you speak at your normal speaking speed on the podcast, please? Because we want to hear natural, fast speech like the way native speakers usually speak. Okay, then. Actually, I think I do speak at my normal speed on this podcast, more or less, most of the time. But as I've said before, it's probably easier for you to understand me when I'm talking on my own than when I'm talking to a guest. My conversations with guests tend to speed up, as you may have noticed. But if you're one of those listeners who's looking for English listening at a fast, natural speed, then this kind of episode, that's this one that you're listening to right now, this one is for you because the conversation I'm presenting this time goes at a really rapid pace. And pace is another word for speed, okay? It goes at a, a rapid pace. It goes really quickly. My guest and I got quite carried away during this conversation, which does happen when I speak to guests. We didn't see the time passing, and we covered a lot of different little topics with some bits of humour thrown in, and we weren't simplifying our English throughout. It's just like when you're talking to your friends in your native language, I expect. 
So basically, listeners, are you up for another English listening challenge? If the answer is yes, then great. Here you are. Here is this episode. But it might be difficult, so brace yourself. It depends on your level of English, of course. Maybe you'll have no problem understanding this at all. But I think for some people, it might be a challenge. Nevertheless, I'm not going to explain all the main points you're going to hear in advance, like I do sometimes at the start of episodes. That kind of explaining can be very helpful, but I'm not doing it this time, mainly because I want to keep the episode length under control. I don't want it to end up being too long. In fact, I'm going to stop this introduction in a moment and just let you listen to the conversation in full without loads of support from me. You'll be all right. You'll be fine. My guest this time is Kate Billington, who you haven't heard on this podcast before. So another new voice for you to get to know. Kate does a lot of different things. She speaks multiple languages. British English is her mother tongue, but also she speaks Chinese, French and Spanish too, I believe. She's an English teacher like me. Also, she makes cakes at a professional level. Unlike me, I'm not great at making cakes, but I'm very good at eating them. But Kate is a pro, and I mean that she's a professionally qualified cake maker. She has a particular set of skills, as you will hear. And uh, also watch out for some descriptions of some classic British cake recipes. Kate is also a stand-up comedian. Yes, another one. And she's interested in a lot of other things too, as you will hear. Kate and I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope that you do too, and that you just get really involved in listening to us and that you don't see the time passing. If you do lose track of what we're talking about at any point, which is quite possible, maybe use your podcasting app to skip back a bit and listen again. If it is difficult, all I can do now is just encourage you to complete the episode from start to finish, even if you don't get 100% of what we're saying. It's important when learning a language to persevere. It's worth it. Anyway, if you simply enjoy the atmosphere and the things we say, hopefully that will make things much more pleasant for you and as a result, easier. Remember, you don't have to listen to the whole thing in one go. If you need to stop at any point, your podcast app will remember where you were and you can just carry on again later, which is one of the great things about podcasts. Just before we start, I feel I should explain one idiom in English which comes up near the beginning, and that is the expression, uh, the icing on the cake. Okay, I was actually considering calling this episode The Icing on the Cake with Kate Billington. That's what I initially thought of calling it. But then I thought, oh, no, wait a minute. That's not a very good title because loads of people don't know that expression. They don't know what that means. And they'll if they'll look at it and they'll go, I don't know what that means. I will not listen. I don't know. It's hard to explain this, the, the thinking of, of the average person when choosing what to listen to. But I, I think it's probably wise not to use an expression that people don't know. But anyway, um, I want to explain it now because it does come up and you're here to learn English, right? So if you say that something is the icing on the cake, like, oh, that was the icing on the cake, then it means that it's something extra that's added to an already good situation, which makes it even better. For example, the episode, that episode was good, Luke, but the, the joke that Kate told at the end was the icing on the cake. 
something like that. So this is an idiom um, in English, uh, of course. So it's not only used to refer to cakes. Um, Icing is a sugary frosting. This is the meaning, the real meaning of icing. It's a sugary frosting which is added as a thin layer on top of a cake. So the icing on top of a cake is an extra layer of yummy sweet stuff which is added, um, making it even better. And um, a cake is already amazing, right? Well, adding icing on top makes it even more amazing. Here's another example. It was incredible seeing Neil Young doing a concert at Hyde Park, but Paul McCartney arriving on stage at the end of the show was the icing on the cake. This idiom comes up at the start of this conversation. Watch out for it. I'll let you find out what the icing on the cake is in this particular situation. Kate visiting to do this podcast was already great, but the fact that she brought something else with her was almost literally the icing on the cake. This idiom comes up at the start of the conversation. Watch out for it. But um, okay, I'm going to stop this introduction now. So let's meet Kate Billington for the first time on Luke's English Podcast. And here we go. Kate, 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 Kate. Luke, Luke, Luke. Uh, Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for bringing delicious cookies. You're very, very welcome. That you made yourself. I did. They're really good as well. I'm delighted. They're delicious. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, always. Uh, So, uh, listeners, Kate brought a box of, let's see, I think there are eight in total. I think you're right. Four of them are chocolate chip cookies, Mm -hmm. and the other four are raisin cookies. Mm And you made them yourself. I did. Which is uh, a fantastic thing. You, you were saying that now, uh, because you are known uh, um, among your friends and family to be mm. a maker of cakes and mm. cookies and things, mm-hmm. people expect you to provide all the time. They do. Okay. Is, yeah. that, is that a lot of pressure? Well, it's on the one hand, it's a bit of a curse. But on the other hand, it is how I make people like me in the first place. It's by bringing cake. You just bribe them with... Exactly. With food. Yeah. Because if you go to a party and you're the person who brought cake, everybody at the party remembers who you are and wants you to come to the next party. That's true. It's a flawless plan. Yeah. Always have cake. Yeah. It really is. So, so I, got, I made cakes a lot um, to make people like me. <laughs> it's been quite effective. Yeah. And now I have to take cake everywhere. What, are, you, are you worried that people won't like you if you don't have cake? A little bit. They will, they will still like you. There guys. is an element when I show up somewhere and people are like, is there, uh, is there cake? And you're like, oh, and no, like, not oh, this no, time. Get out yeah. <laughs> of my life. You can see that they're restraining themselves from telling me to leave, you know? No, I doubt it. That's kind. I'm sure that they like you with or without <laughs> the cake. The cake is just a lovely bonus. That's, the cake is the, the, the icing the, on the, the cake, icing so on to speak. The, with the, and the cherry on top of the icing <laughs> on, the, on the top of the cake. The cake is the icing on the cake. Does that work? Ooh, it doesn't quite, does icing it? icing on the cake. It's almost there, but it's not. Okay. <laughs> that's the sound of a joke flying over the heads of many people, but oh, that's, that's okay. We're going to explain it. If you like. No, it's, I mean, I feel like once you've explained a joke, it's definitely not funny anymore, tell isn't me, it? Tell me about it. I'm the, I know, I'm the expert. I'm I've explaining made, jokes. This is my living. This is, <laughs> this is what I do. Do you explain a lot of jokes or do you, because now I need to confess to your listeners, as I've already confessed to you, I've never actually listened to the podcast. Mm. 
So do tell I, me Do what I you explain do. a lot of jokes? Okay. Is it more like vocabulary and stuff like that? It's it's kind of vocabulary and stuff like that. So so okay. I, I I will willingly um, choose to do episodes where I do let's say ten terrible jokes. Not okay. not necessarily mine. Just jokes that are either out there in the ether, you know, the way jokes are. I do. Just they exist in, in the world. Or they're jokes, for example, that have been written by Tim Tim Vine or something like yeah. that, you know? Yeah. It might be a little section of his stand-up routine or, or maybe the, like the 10 best jokes from Edinburgh. Yeah, I was the, just going to ask if you do those. Yeah, I do that every year. Okay. Um, obviously not this year because Edinburgh, the, the, the entire city has been cancelled. Yeah, it doesn't exist now. No, thanks to the bloody Tories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but uh, classic Tory move. So I will do jokes and tell them, and then explain them. And okay. the, the the saying is, uh, you know, you may have heard this before. Uh, explaining a joke is like dissecting a frog. You can learn something from it, but the frog dies in the process. Right. So that I haven't the, heard that before. I like it though. That's what I have to say every time. I, okay. I explain jokes just so I, so everyone knows. Look, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Okay, I'm not. I, I know I'm. I know I've ruined it now. I'm murdering these jokes, but uh, you know, it's all in the name of of learning and teaching English. So yeah. yes, I do explain jokes, and sometimes, you know, it's tough. It can be tough. Yeah. But it's great. Do you like get it. feedback on your explanations of jokes? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. People generally appreciate it. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, they they like that. But yeah, it, no, it goes well. Because do you? Um, do you speak French? A bit. Okay. Not not well enough. Not not enough to be to be proud. Funny. Of oh, okay. Or funny. Yeah. In, in, I can't choose to be funny. Okay. I, I can only be funny accidentally. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there. But do you ever go to Monoprix? Yes. And you know everything. All of their own brands have puns on them. I did not know that really. Oh, really? By the way, listeners. So you know, my audience are mostly not in France. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, does it? Yeah, because, I mean, it's a podcast for all people who learn English. Yeah. And there's more who are not in France than who are. That's right. And so France is actually about number 15 in the list of okay. countries. Just so you know. In in the world, the list of countries. Just generally, the, of all the best countries, France is... <laughs> no. What's ter- number one? <laughs> in terms of my audience. Right. Uh, France is number 15. So okay. French-specific references to things like French supermarkets yeah. may need to be explained. I think I did just explain it, did didn't you? I? Well, when you go into Monoprix, they have a pun on everything. When you go into Monoprix, that could be anything. It could okay. be a TARDIS from Doctor Who. <laughs> um, now we've got to explain Doctor Who and a TARDIS. I've already done that. Have you? Yeah. Did, did you tell e- them what it stands for? I did a whole episode. Yeah, time okay. and relative dimension in space. Yeah, I'm not a complete loser. Um, it was close there. I, and one of the, saved it. One of the early episodes was all about Doctor Who, and I spoke to someone who really knows what they're talking about. Okay. Not me. That's, yeah, no, that's not me either. I'm a moderate Whovian. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, whereas I'm a sort of uh, lightweight yeah. Hoovian, but I'm still yeah. a Hoovian of sorts. Yeah, great. And anyway, so when you go into Monoprix, which is a supermarket, yes, um, they have they have their own brand products and they have puns on them. Do they? All all Monoprix products, I think, have a pun on little word jokes. Yeah, I didn't know that. There's so much to France that I'm missing. Yeah, but it's always been a nice little test of my French, especially when I first got here. So I already spoke French when I arrived, mm. but not like perfectly. So sometimes when I was in Monoprix, if I found something where I got the joke, I would be especially proud of myself. Right. Can it's you quite satisfying. Yeah. The only joke in French that I know mm-hmm. is terrible and it's from a car- carambar. Oh, I love a good carambar joke. Go on. Carambar listeners. Here we go. 
This is where I explain things. Okay, I'm going to have a cup of tea. I'm the explain man. Um, Karen Bar is a is a sweet. It's a candy bar. It's like a, a sort of a caramel bar. Hence the name. Karen Bar, yeah. Caramel, yeah. And they have little jokes on them. So, okay, let's see if I can not screw this up completely. I'm really excited. Oh, God. All right. Why did I, why did I choose to say this? Um, right. So, pourquoi? No. You know what? My, my French is so <laughs> inadequate that I have to do the setup in English. Okay. Okay, fine. Do it. Why does Roger always win the tennis match? Why does Roger always win tennis matches? How do you say that? Pourquoi Roger, Roger toujours gagne uh, le tennis? Mm-hmm. Um, parce que il n'est pas fait derrière. Il n'est pas fait derrière. Federer, Federer, Roger Federer. <laughs> mais what? Mais what? He doesn't make mistakes. Il ne fait pas derrière. De... <laughs> Roger Federer, il n'est pas fait derrière. It's my, my pronunciation was so bad that you didn't get the joke. Um, Right? Uh, no, it's just the joke was bad. Yeah. That's not, so it wasn't like just your bad, pronunciation. I like a bad joke, but yes. Do you want a good um, joke that I believe can be translated into any language? Please. I've done this in three languages. Mm. I think I've done it in four and it always works. Um, I'll do it in English. Um, a man goes into a library mm-hmm. and goes up to the counter and says, fish and chips, please. Okay. And the librarian says, oh, sorry, sir, this is a library. And he says, oh, I'm sorry. Fish and chips, please. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. So you can just say it in any, joke, in any language. Right. But I always change the food to fit the country. I see. So if it was France? Baguette in a boulangerie. Yeah. Italy? Uh, pizza. I haven't done it in Italian. Okay. What have you done it in? I did it in Spanish. That was okay. And in Chinese. That was good. And what's the sp- can you say the joke in those languages? I've forgotten the Spanish. My Spanish is very rusty. <laughs> But you speak some Chinese. I speak, I, yeah. How much? Um, I have a degree in Chinese. Right, okay, okay. Now stop. <laughs> right. So here we are rolling. We're, we're rolling, <laughs> right? We're going, we're, 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 uh, we're it's, the, yeah. the banter is flowing, right? Now we need to just stop and, and sort of uh, contextualize here, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we know each other? Oh, um, because we work together. Yeah. Teaching we- English. That's kind of how we know each other. We don't actually work together at any point. We never see each other at work. No. Almost never. And there was also a weird period of time after I started doing comedy when somebody said, oh, you should talk to Luke, he does comedy. And then they pointed you out. And then I would see you occasionally at work. Yeah. And you didn't know who I was. <laughs> and I knew who you were. So you'd come in, I'd be like, oh, that's the comedy guy. And then you'd sort of sometimes look at me and I'd be there being like, hi. And then being oh. like, oh, we haven't met. This is really weird. It's just typical British awkwardness. It was very awkward. Very awkward. Plus, also, when I'm there, usually I'm just like, you know, if I'm not in class, I'm rushing to class or mm. rushing away from class and away, mm. from, the, away from the building <laughs> in general. Um, uh, so, yeah. Okay, so we work together. Yes. Um, and also, you do stand-up. So, I kind of... That, I do. That's, that's why, like, people at, at, at school were sort of pushing us towards each other. Yes. Because um, we both do stand-up yes. comedy. Okay. And uh, where are you from? I'm from Dorset. Ah, very nice. Yeah, it's all right, isn't it? Where are you from? I'm from sort of the Midlands and from London. Both. Okay. Where in the Midlands? Uh, Solihull, Warwickshire. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know where that is on a map. 
Yeah. That's all I've got about Good. Solihull. Yeah. Stratford upon Avon near there. Yeah. Coventry. Very nice. Warwick, nice. Warwick Castle. Very nice. Yeah. Um, Solihull Town Centre. Mel Square shopping. Glorious. Shopping. Mel Square shopping centre in Solihull. Famous. Ro- uh, Jasper Carrot. I don't you, know what that is. You don't know what Jasper Carrot is? No. You're, you're young. You're is it a... Very young. No, it's a man. He's a stand-up comedian. He's character? a comedian. He's one of Britain's... <gasps> uh, the godfathers of British stand-up comedy. Okay. Got he's a lot all, to answer for. He's, you know, from the 70s and 80s, so you can imagine what, what that also brings. But uh, Jasper Carrot was on TV doing comedy for, for years, but you must have missed him. Obviously. Yeah. Not having been born. Yeah, that's right. That would have done it for me, wouldn't it? You're young. Okay, we've established that. Uh, I'm not that young. No. How old do you think I am? 26. No, you 27. don't. 27. No, you don't. You're, you're, you're not 30. I am. You're 30. I'm 30. Okay. Yeah. All right. Interesting. This is interesting because I've always been assumed to be older than I am when people guess my age. And so maybe now the tide is turning and people will think I'm younger than I am. Maybe. Now that I'm in my 30s. This is interesting. It is interesting how, how people perceive mm. one's age. Mm. Uh, Dorset, um, do do you, I mean, I'm asking a sort of obvious question maybe, or a question that has an obvious answer. Do you have the accent, a sort of a a Dorset accent? No, I don't. Um, The Dorset accent is, it doesn't really exist that much anymore. Um, I speak, I would say I have an RP accent, Mm. um, which is quite posh. People often think I'm quite posh because of my voice. Are you posh? No, I'm not posh. She says, no. No, I'm really, really no, not posh. No, I'm such a commoner. <laughs> I'm, I'm really not posh. <laughs> no, I'm not posh. Um, people think I am, but I went to the local comprehensive school, not, not to a private school. My parents were teachers and we didn't have any fancy holidays. You know, like quite a normal sort of yeah. average childhood, I think. Yeah. Like very nice yeah. in Dorset, but not posh. And Dorset's full of fancy private schools. So in the area, I was very much not the posh one. I see. There are lots of posh people who live there. There are, yeah. Or who, or who school there. Ooh. Or who summer there. Oh, gosh. Yeah. But yeah. Um, not that many posh people who are from there, I think. Yeah. So the Dorset, the proper Dorset accent is like a farmer's accent. Ooh-ar, ooh-ar. Or, so a, Dorset, a proper Dorset accent would be like this. It's quite West Country. And it still exists, but it doesn't exist so much in Dorset anymore it exists um a little bit if you've got a very old dorset family or if you've got a farming family you might talk like this um or if you're really rural but i'm not i'm from a i'm from a town i'm not really rural um and also my family's not from dorset i'm the only one born in dorset by the way dorset is in the southwest of england it is okay um what did you do at university you got a degree in french and chinese french and chinese yes okay uh I was going to just say, why? <laughs> it's my interviewing, te- my interviewing technique. Keep it short. Why? Um, <laughs> because when I was at school, I studied French and mm-hmm. Spanish. And I really liked languages. And then when I went to university, I wanted a challenge. So I was hesitating between Chinese and Arabic. And I chose Chinese because I'm female. And I wanted to be interpreter. And I thought in a lot of Arab countries, it's much harder to be listened to as a woman. Oh, really? Yeah. I think it depends what kind of, it obviously depends who you're mixing with and it depends what country you're in as well. But in some countries, it's harder for women to 
be taken seriously as communicators. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Whereas in China, I I wouldn't say everything's perfectly equal because I don't think anything's equal in any country, but it's easier to work in like business or translation or interpreting as a woman and to have a, a, quite an easy access. Okay. French and Chinese. Yeah. You spoke French already because you did it at GCSE GCSE level? and A-level. GCSE and A-level. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then off you went to university. Where did you go to university? Leeds. Ah. Yeah. Go on. Um, it's in the north of England near Manchester. <laughs> what, what do you want me to go on about? <laughs> what's, the, what's the next bit of that sentence? I don't know. Just do the accent. That's what I was thinking. Oh, I'm not good at a Leeds accent. Leeds accent is sort of speak like Leeds, this, don't they? They talk a bit, a bit like Alan Bennett, but I'm not very good at an Alan Bennett accent. The only thing I can sort of, I don't know, comfortably say in a Leeds accent is, is the name Leeds. Leeds. I, I don't, Do yes. they go Leeds? Is it they Leeds? They say Gert like? for the word goat. Gert. Gert. I know that. So you, Oh no, now I'm doing, I'm doing Scouser. I'm doing Liverpool. All right, yeah, a goat. That's goat. A goat. That's a goat. <laughs> it is, because my, my family's from Liverpool. Half, really? my, half my family's from Liverpool. Is that right? It is. This is a coincidence. You know why? Because half your family's from Liverpool. No, not at all. Oh, tell me why. No, because Marie Connolly, yeah. who was on this podcast her not dad. long ago, her dad's from Liverpool. No, he's not. She's got loads of cousins up there in Liverpool. Oh my God, yeah, me yeah. too. I went to university in Liverpool. Did you? What did you do? Not very much. Oh, right. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Liverpool's a great city. Yeah, I love Liverpool. Yeah, it is really good. It's brilliant. I, I did media, yes. media and cultural studies. Oh, okay. That's why you're the one with the podcast. Yeah, I guess so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of media and culture that I do a podcast this. about culture using media a lot of culture yeah, yeah, yeah and media um, makes sense yeah it does okay so university leads uh, how did you get on at university oh, I had a great time mm? yeah did yeah. well got a good degree yeah yeah two one first first Ooh. with I'm gonna brag I got a uh, first with um, double distinction oh my goodness I know you're some kind of genius I am you're a prodigy I'm a prodigy this is amazing <laughs> Wait, so listeners obviously a 2-1 so can we explain the uh, the grading yeah. system I don't know where it comes from it's really weird isn't it yeah a bit yeah but a first is short for a first class degree and we- that's the top it's the best isn't it it is the best it's like A it's like an it's A it's like an A yeah um, and then 2-1 is also a very good degree and um, so it would be second class. What does it stand for? Well, two, two one is a second class degree, but sort of the upper version, I think. Yeah, this is how I understand it. It is, yeah. And then below that, you've got a two two, which is yeah. also a second class degree, but the sort of second half le- level. Yeah, lower level. It's like two, it's like it's a bit like this. First is like a uh, a two one is like uh, B, mm-hmm. and a two two is like a lower B. Or yeah. let's just call a B, it... So 2, 1 would be a B plus and 2, 2 would be a B minus. Yeah, but I mean, in 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 actual fact, it's a first is an A, a 2, 1 is a B, and a 2, 2 is a C, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. I think a, a lot of people who get a 2, 2 might be a bit disappointed. Whereas anyone who gets a 2, 1 tends to be pretty happy with it. Yeah, 2, 1 is pretty solid. Yeah. yeah I, got, I got a 2, 1. Good for you. Thank God. Very good. <laughs> Scrape, <laughs> scraped it. <laughs> Could have, it was close. I could have gone either way. Yeah, there's a lot of people in third year, you know, because once or third or fourth year, however many years your degree is. But when you get to final year, you can obviously calculate how much you've got already and how much you need to get a 2-1. And there's always that kind of bracket of people who are in the danger zone. I, I was very inconsistent mm. as a student. 
did okay in my GCSEs, failed my A-levels spectacularly. Oh no, really? I'm not going to go into the details now. It's another story <laughs> for another time. Did you retake them? Yeah, I retook them. Retook okay. two new ones in a year. Oh wow! And I, I got enough to get to university. I got to. Oh, I wow. got in. I didn't go to a red brick university. Mm-hmm. like Leeds, for example. Like Leeds. I went to a, a former polytechnic university. Okay, yeah. Perfectly decent. Liverpool John Moores. Yeah. They've got, they've got a good uh, culture and communications uh, department. Mm-hmm. Um, and I studied there and got my 2-1. Uh, but anyway, you uh, mm. came out of university with a first and what? not just a first a though. A first with double distinction. Double distinction? I know. So... <laughs> How did you get that? Because I get so in um, languages at Leeds, if you get a first in your final speaking exams, you get a distinction in spoken whatever the language. So I got a first with distinctions in spoken French and spoken Chinese. Wow. Yeah, that was good. So um, I feel like talking about your Chinese. Okay. When was the first time you ever spoke Chinese? What's the first contact you ever had with Chinese? So probably when I was at school and we did um, like a little, a day of Chinese New Year, you know, you know, when you're at school, you're learning like little things about different cultures. Mm-hmm. And so I would have learned how to say Happy New Year in Chinese. But ironically, I learned that in Cantonese and the Chinese I speak now is Mandarin. And I can't speak any Cantonese except for that one sentence I learned when I was about eight. What is that? Well, it's gung hei fat choi, but I'm definitely not saying the tones correctly. No, because you said that with English, yeah, English intonation. Uh, gung hei fat choi, yeah. But uh, your pronunciation was better. But the no, intonation, it wasn't. It was about the same. The intonation going up like that. It's a question. It's a question. Gung <laughs> think, hei fat choi. Because I'm sure you have Cantonese speaking listeners who'll be like, "That is not how you say oh, yeah, it." Yeah, the, some, some. There'll be some listeners. I don't know what they'll be doing. They'll be jumping up and down, or or furious, stamping with my their, Chinese, stamping their feet. Yeah. Um. Okay. So that would be my first experience of Chinese. But my first, yeah, the first time learning Mandarin would have, I went to China on holiday between my A-levels and um, starting my degree to travel for a bit with my sister. Gap year. Gap year. Not gap year. Not a gap year. No. (laughs) (laughs) Not a gap year because I traveled for three months, three and a half months with my sister. And then I went back and worked in my local greengrocers for nine months. So I think that makes it not a gap year. Right. Now I we need see. to explain the difference between gap year and gap year. I have done gap year before. Have you? <laughs> on the podcast, but people won't remember. It's quite a long time ago, probably. Gap year is basically how a posh person would say it. Yeah, I'm on my gap year. Um, yeah. Because often, well, a posh accent in England, one of the features is that um, uh, trip thongs. Ooh, right, get check, you. Check me out. <laughs> I don't know what that is. A monop thong is one single sound or vowel, one from vowel, vowel sound or one from the supermarket monoprix check out the humor i'm so into monoprix uh, <laughs> it is good to be fair uh, anyway so a monop thong is one single vowel sound like uh, uh, eh, oh, uh, you know those yes ones. a dip thong is ear ow oi air eh, you know those yes. double sounds and a trip thong would be three vowel sounds together like wow. like a well t- technically ear, ear well, idea or ear is a bob, uh, diphthong, isn't it, actually? Is it? Ear. I'm thinking words like shower, layer. Ah, uh, yes. So they'd say, uh, you know, I'm just going to go and have a shower. A shower, yes. And, and uh, I made a lair cake. <laughs> Which sounds like a cake that you would find inside a lair. Like a dragon. Like a, a dragon's lair. lair. Yeah. So or anyway. A bear's lair. So a posh person wouldn't say. So anyway, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that instead of rounding those diphthongs, yeah. like year, ear, it sort of gets flattened and you get, you know, yar. 
Yes, gap yar. that's true. Gap yar. Yeah. Um, so anyway, you're not posh, so you didn't have a gap yes. yar. You had a gap year. It, com- it comes from that comedy sketch, that gap yar sketch, doesn't yeah. it? Did you talk about that? I have talked about okay. that. Yeah, so it's a little YouTube sketch with a guy who is uh, talking on his phone. And he's going, oh, yeah, so I'm, just, uh, yeah, I'm on my gap yar. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm, I'm in Pará, Peru. <laughs> Um, and he talks about how he's having a really, really spiritual experience. Uh, and then I just chundered everywhere. Oh, yes. I've forgotten about so that. He's talking about, on one hand, you know, this posh person meeting actual poor people. Oh, it's so touching. And uh, it was really spiritual and emotional. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And then I just chundered everywhere. And it turns out that he's, he's in jail. Oh, I didn't remember that. Like I'd forgotten the, the ending. He's like, Tarquin, yeah, I, you know, can you help me? I, I'm in jail. And the camera pans back and he's in jail. You have to see it, listeners. Yeah, we've just done that thing of explaining something that isn't funny unless you've seen it. <laughs> Again, <laughs> that, is my, that is my job. Isn't that, yeah, but have you ever tried to describe an episode of Friends to someone? Even if it's the best episode of Friends, and even if they've seen Friends, so they know who the characters are, it's mm. just never funny. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those conversations where at the end you have to say you had to be there, yeah. or you have to see it, um, which basically means I, I, I shouldn't have told you. Uh, yeah, I can't I can't do it justice. But it, I, yeah, I make that my business. I mean, I, <laughs> I I've done Alan Partridge, I've done full like dissections of Alan Partridge, and thinking to myself, oh God. But then wouldn't what you doing? wouldn't you encourage your listeners to watch Alan Partridge? Yes, absolutely. To at least know what you're talking. I've about. I've converted some of them. I'm sure. To become uh, Partridge fans. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, you know, my work was partially successful mm. in that regard. Some people are like, what are you doing to us? Ah! Yeah, that will happen. We don't understand this. This is not funny. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, it is. That is how humour works. <laughs> yeah, entirely. Okay, so, um, all right. You're three months in China with your sister. Um, it wasn't three months in China. It was three months traveling. But yeah, about a month in China, I think. Whereabouts did you go? Um, I can't remember exactly because it was a long time ago. But um, Beijing, um, Xi'an, Guilin. And we finished in Hong Kong. So we started in Beijing and then we sort of worked our way down and inland a bit and then back towards the coast to Hong Kong. How was it? Uh, it was overwhelming. How? Um, I hadn't been to Asia before. I hadn't been to China before. And um, it's so different from Europe in so many ways. And depending on where you go, um, sometimes you really stand out as a foreigner. And so you have experiences like when we were cycling around Beijing, people would like film us cycling because they just didn't see many white people cycling around the city. And um, somebody once gave me her baby and then took loads of photos of me holding her baby. And I was like, I'm not, <laughs> not really comfortable holding your baby. Um, quite yeah. a lot of things like that, that it, it, you feel very other. Mm. And also, I think if you're traveling in somewhere where they use the same alphabet as us, you can try and read some of the words. You can at least look them up in a dictionary. Mm. Whereas when you just see Chinese characters everywhere, you can't read that if you haven't studied it. So yes. it was a lot. It's very confusing. You feel, oh my God, where am I? What's going yes. on? Ah, uh, help. Yes. Everyone's looking at me. Yeah. I just want to be on holiday. This is, uh, I can't walk down the street. Yeah. it was. We knew it wouldn't be like a holiday holiday. It's more kind of a, a really interesting way to see another place yeah. and to learn about another culture. But I did come back thinking, do I want to learn Chinese? Because <laughs> it's quite a lot. 
to deal with. It must be difficult, though. So, right. Do you mind if I ask you to tell us that library joke in Chinese? Okay, I can have a go. Can you do that? It's a bit rusty now, but okay. Um, Let me think. I'm I'm eating some more cookie while you think. (laughs) No pressure. You can do it twice Um, if you want. I'll try. I'll try. Okay. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> I messed that up. Can you tell? <laughs> yeah, I noticed in the middle you, yeah. you had to correct yourself somewhere. Also, I can't remember the Chinese word for librarian. I, Listen- just, I just said library person. Listeners, tell us the word for librarian in Chinese, please. You can write yeah. that in the comments section. You'll have to write it in English, uh, in Roman letters, I think. Yeah, that's. Don't worry, that's a thing. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's that. But I mean, I don't know ch- any Chinese. No, I could have said anything, couldn't I? Yeah, you could have been saying anything. Luke's got a really smelly feet, and his apartment <laughs> is really horrible. Um, but no, he won't let me leave. From my point of view, that sounded amazing. And you know, when kind. when you listen to someone speaking another language that you don't know, but it's like your friend. I mean, like you, for example, <laughs> if, uh, when I hear you speaking Chinese. It's just like that thing where suddenly someone breaks into another language and you can tell that they've got a certain level of fluency. Mm. And it's like, whoa, whoa, what's happening? Mm -hmm. That's what I just experienced there with you. Great. I enjoyed it. What's your, what's, uh, what level are you in Chinese? Can I ask? I don't know. Um, I think, so I lived there for a year as part of my degree and then I lived there again for my master's. Um, But that was six years ago now six or seven so it's quite rusty now I, but I think when I lived there it was maybe maybe C1 and now it's probably like B2 B1 I'm not sure but I'm going to start taking lessons this year it's one of my projects yeah. I want to get back up to C1 I want to get to C2 and take the C2 exam okay how did you get your Chinese up to this level by doing a degree in it yeah but what did that involve specifically um, so first of all, it involved making it my main priority for about four years, because I think learning a language like Chinese for someone like me, who's not a gifted linguist, I'm, I'm okay. I'm a good linguist, but I'm not, you know, some people are incredibly gifted. They can just speak 12 languages fluently. Right. I'm not that level. So someone like me, you, I needed to make it my priority for a long time. I don't think I could have learned Chinese in evening classes. Mm. Whereas something like Italian, I probably could get to a decent level in evening classes. Okay. And... The other thing I did was a lot of copying characters, writing characters. So I learned to read and write as well. So, yeah, copying characters down so I memorised them. When you say characters, you mean words, basically, that, that are written in the form of yeah. characters, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't so, mean copying cartoon characters. God, that, just drawing Bart Simpson over and over or, and over or, or, or at least listening, watching Chinese uh, <laughs> cartoons and just copying the characters when they speak no you're writing down chinese characters and writing down characters memorizing them and so on yes Uh, because chinese doesn't have an alphabet okay so there's that but Mm -hmm. i mean but to get to certain level of spoken fluency Mm. as well yeah i mean tell us all the different things i I know it probably it's been four years of a lot of work 
Yeah. But I'd like to know as many of those different things that you did. So I went and lived in China. Right. Um, so the first year at Leeds was there was a big focus on reading and writing because in the second year you go and live in China. So their argument was you should improve your speaking a lot in second year. So first year we're going to kind of, we had classes that were called drill and it was like just practicing over and over again, writing and grammar. Um, like they were drilling it into your brain. Um, and then we didn't have that much speaking. So in, yeah, in my second year, I had a lot more speaking classes, which involved lots of pronunciation work. I realize now my pronunciation is not as good as it was. Uh, anyone who's judging my pronunciation quite rightly. Oh, they, they probably will be. I bet they are. It's, it's really <laughs> not very good. My tones are all over the place, especially when I said library. Anyway. It, Chinese is, is difficult in that sense for us yes. because it's a tonal language. Yes. So your intonation on specific words can change the meaning of those words. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There's so there's five tones. Well, there's four tones and then a toneless tone. So there's kind of five. Okay. Anyway, yeah, lots of, lots of speaking practice, lots of speaking classes, imitating people, and then just going out and trying to use Chinese in conversation. And just doing that over and over again, sort of yes. over, over time. Yeah. 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 And yeah. then when I came back to Leeds, I had two more years of my degree. But then I spent part of that time in France. Okay, because yeah, because of course you were doing French alongside the Chinese. Yes. Absolute madness. Yeah. And didn't you, did you, I mean, you must have been a good student. You must have been. Yeah, I was a good student. Yeah. You weren't distracted by stuff? I was, yeah, I was distracted by stuff. I did a lot of stuff at university. Yeah. A lot of it, mostly baking cakes. <laughs> this is another <laughs> thing. my biggest thing at university. But I did, yeah, especially in my final year, I did lots of things. I, I directed a play in French in my final year. That was good. I cycled from Leeds to Paris and I also entered the Great British Bake Off, but I didn't get on. So this is a TV show. Yes. An extremely popular TV show. So popular. Which involves, it's basically a baking competition. It is. Yeah. On TV. Listeners, the name of that TV show again that Kate applied to be on was the Great British Bake Off. I also entered the Great British Bake Off, but I didn't get on. So this is a TV show. Yes. An extremely popular TV show. So popular. Which involves, it's basically a baking competition. It is, yeah. On TV. Okay, but you didn't get in. No. Okay, that's a pity. Lots of things for me to ask you about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I suppose... I'm I, one of those people. Yeah. I suppose that um, the reason you're here is, is for your French then, is that right? The reason, I'm, the reason I live in France? Yeah. The reason I live here is because I moved here to open a cake shop five years ago no um six years ago five years ago an english person coming to paris to open a cake shop was it an english presumptuous cake was it an english cake shop that was the idea right and well you'll notice i haven't got a cake shop uh that's true <laughs> can you tell us what happened so um i moved here um when i lived here for, as part of my degree i lived here for about six months in paris and at the time i made cakes for my friends back at home at university and I always make make <laughs> wow you know I said I didn't need you to edit anything out <laughs> maked gosh that's embarrassing isn't get it? out <laughs> I always made um funny shaped cakes you know like um a cake that looks like a handbag or a cake that looks like a tardis um or a big jar of marmite or these are things that i've done and so i put pictures of them online on facebook and when i was living 
here for my degree in 2012, um, my, I was doing an internship and my boss at the time saw pictures of the cakes and she said, uh, you should do this in France because nobody does this in France. Which is true, because if you look around Paris, obviously there's patisseries everywhere, mm. um, but you don't really see cake. You see, like, you know, tarts and obviously croissant and things like that. Yeah. Um, but not really cake cake. Mm-hmm. And you don't really see things like, you know, like in England, you get wedding cakes that are tiered cakes with four or five tiers. Yes. And cakes that are shaped like other things. Because in France, their wedding cakes are... Uh, I think croque brouche is the traditional, which is the... Shoe. Shoe pastry, uh, uh, yeah. Shoe pastries in a sort of a, uh, conical tower. tower. Yeah. Um, but okay. shoes don't... Not the shoes that go on your feet, we should clarify. That's right. Shoe is a kind of... A paste, a sweet pastry, let's say, yeah. a kind of a cake, a sort you of puffy kn- type of pastry. Yeah, you know because you've do. you've done a p- patisserie course here. Um, mm. um, okay, just just going back to cake. When you, yes, you, you talked about cake type cake, I know what you mean, mm. but some other people might not know exactly yeah. what you mean. So, yeah. what do you mean when you say cake? So, when I say an English cake, I mean what one might describe as a sponge cake. And it's called a sponge because it's got the texture of a sponge. Mm-hmm. Um, at least it looks like a sponge when you cut into it because it's full of little bubbles of air. Yeah. Um, so the classic ultimate British cake, in my opinion, is the Victoria sponge. Okay. Um, which is basically a vanilla sponge cake with um, jam and cream between the layers. Mm-hmm. It's a great cake. Mm. And here in France, they're much more interested in pastry. So that makes things like tarts, obviously, like chocolate tarts or fruit tarts or anything like that. Yeah. And also what they call viennoiserie, but I guess we would call pastries in English, like croissant and brioche and pain au chocolat and that sort of thing. Yes. Um, and then when they do make big cakes, they make these things called entremets that there is no English translation for. And it's just these sort of like... I really don't like them. Um, this is going to the listeners listen to the disdain oh, in God. Kate's voice now as she describes them. What do you what do you call them again? Entremets. Entremets. Yeah. Okay. Go on. They're just like a pile of cream with bits of sponge and tinned fruit drowning in the cream. Mm. They're bad. They're really bad. And that some famous ones like a charlotte um, is a type of entremet. A a parfait. These are kind of the more famous ones. It's mm. um, a millefeuille. That's a patisserie. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Right. Sorry. No, that's, that's fine. <laughs> no, if I'm taken, I'm not French. I don't care. Um, no, I mean, yeah. sorry for, for distracting you away from your... Hatred. Flow. You, were, you were in full <laughs> flow there about cakes and I... I, yeah. I interrupted you unnecessarily. Um, um, okay. So mm-hmm. we're talking about sponge cakes and stuff. Mm. Mm, yum, 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 mm-hmm. yum. Is that your favorite, Victoria Sponge, is that your favorite then? I don't know if it's my favorite, but I would say it's the kind of quintessential English cake for me. I mean, it's literally named after Queen Victoria, so. Um, Icing on the top, am I right in thinking? On a Victoria Sponge. I think classically just a dusting of icing sugar. Right, just just white icing sugar on the top, then the sponge, which is brown on the outside and sort of a more of a yellowy. Yeah, it's quite yellow in the middle. Pale colour in the middle and then a layer of jam and cream, as you said, and then another sponge cake underneath yeah. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yum, yum, yum. It's a great cake. Um, what others? What other notable cakes are there from the UK or from England? Mm, a fruit cake is a classic. Very mm. different. It's much heavier. 
and that's got lots of dried fruit in it lots of raisins and sultanas which are kind of the same as raisins and um you make fruit cake really far in advance and then you feed it what yeah you feed it what uh you, well you feed it brandy normally you meaning you pour brandy all over it yeah and it absorbs the brandy yeah and you sort of leave it in a dark cupboard yeah absorbing brandy exactly until like i don't know what christmas or something pretty much so this time of year is actually when a lot of people traditionally would make their christmas cakes and then they would feed it until christmas day mm. so about two months before christmas how much brandy would go into a, a, a cake for four people oh i don't know it depends how greedy the four people are quite greedy <laughs> <laughs> i don't honestly i don't know the last time i made a fruit cake was about 10 years ago i think it's okay. not really my cup of tea they're very rich and mm-hmm. quite heavy, mm-hmm. aren't they? Mm-hmm. And they're traditionally used for wedding cakes, partly because they're so so dense, they're really strong. So you can stack them quite easily because you can put another cake on top of it and it'll hold it. And yeah. also because they last forever. So partly because of all the brandy. <laughs> um, and also because there's nothing fresh in them, really, because it's all dried fruit. Right, I see. So it's tradition in the UK for a couple when they get married to keep the top tier of the wedding cake for their child's first christening. Jesus. Yeah. So it's got to last a, a, at least a year. Well, yes. Well, it depends why no, you're getting I, married. Well, yeah, it depends. Yeah. If, the, if, <laughs> if, the, if she's fully pregnant, yeah. then maybe just a couple of months. You could just have a sponge cake in that case. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. But that's, I mean, that's an old tradition. Very few people would do that now, I think. Okay. Yes. Uh, fruit cake. Mm-hmm. Others? I would say a carrot cake is a is a staple of British baking now, but I think it's originally from the USA, I would imagine. Yeah, really? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, it's a cake, but with carrot in it. Yes. And when I was a kid, I was always like, oh, that sounds disgusting, and refused to try it. And then the first time I tried it, I realised the error of my ways. I love carrot cake. It's so good. I've yeah. never been able to trust myself since. Icing on the top. Yes. Cream cheese frosting. Cream cheese frosting. Yes. Is there cheese in there? Yes. What kind of cheese? Philadelphia. What? Yeah, but... <laughs> Philadelphia. Yeah. But that's a brand name. Okay. Um, cream cheese. Cream cheese. Okay. That's why it's called cream cheese frosting. All oh, right. The clue is in the name. <laughs> See, I only got a 2-1 at university, you know. And only in one language. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you have to be patient with me. Um, uh, yes, I will do my best. Um, what about a Battenberg Oh, yes. Do you know, I don't think I've ever made a Battenberg. What is a Battenberg, though? It's a good question, isn't it? Um, it's a, an almondy cake. It's got an almond flavour. I guess there's almond powder in there or something. I think there's marzipan, marzipan. between the layers because it's it's a cake that when you... it's So it's um, cuboid. Ooh. And... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can explain what a cuboid is? It's like the shape of a cube. There you go. But why is it oid? Because it's just the adjective form of the word cube. Hello again, listeners. I'm just interrupting the conversation. How are you? Are you enjoying this? I hope so. Are you still there? Yeah. Hello. Good morning. Right. Anyway, so we're about to go down a very deep rabbit hole as we attempt to talk about certain bits of language that we use to describe shapes. Two-dimensional shapes and three-dimensional shapes. Okay. Stick with it. Because although it seems confusing at the beginning, I think we managed to clarify everything um, uh, at the end of this little bit, okay? So we're talking about words like cube, uh, cuboid, uh, those are three-dimensional, rectangle and rectangular, which are two-dimensional, and oblong, 
which is also two-dimensional, and square. Basically, how do you describe both two-dimensional and three-dimensional objects using nouns and adjectives? Well, listen on, and you should find out eventually. It's a cake that when you... It's, so it's um, cuboid. Ooh. And... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can explain what a cuboid is? It's like the shape of a cube. There you go. But why is it oid? Because it's just the adjective form of the word cube. Rectangular, cuboid. Next, Spheric, <laughs> spherical, in the shape of a no, sphere. No, isn't cube an adjective? No, a cube is a noun. A cube. What's that? It's a cube. <laughs> it's a Rubik's cube. Yeah? Yeah, and then cube. you say, but then the adjective of cube is cube-shaped. Because that's, a cuboid is no, rectangular, no, isn't it? That's a verb phrase. <laughs> no, no, that's an adjective or phrase. Sorry. Cube-shaped. Okay, that's another option we've got. Okay, but, but cuboid is an... A- look, I'm going to just Google it. Well, not Google it. Specifically, I'm going to use one of the reputable dictionaries. Okay. Oxford. Let's go over there. But then what's the word for a rectangular shape? A rectangular Re- three-dimensional shape? It's rectangular. Oh, 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 that's that. two-dimensional. Oblong. No, um, oblong is, is another word for a rectangle. So we want a three-dimensional rectangular See, shape. See, I think a cube is, is the same on all sides, and a cuboid is not the same on all sides. Hmm. I think a cuboid is like a long cube. Let's see what uh, Oxford says. All right, give him a call. Cuboid, a solid object that has six rectangular sides at right angles to each other. So they're not specific. It, it, it could be a rectangle. It's got to be six rectangular... Oh, six rectangular sides? I'm confused now. <clears throat> okay, wait, we need to... Oh, this is getting rapidly confusing for everybody. Sorry, listeners. Rectangular, then, as an adjective, means anything that is uh, a shape with right angles. Okay, So yeah. the sides could be varying lengths. But does that mean a square is rectangular? A square is a rectangle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think we've gone down a rabbit hole that we should have I, steered I, I'm, clear I'm, of. I'm all right. I'm, I've got a torch on my head. I can see light in the distance. So I, I know where we are. a cube is a cuboid, but a cuboid is not always a okay. cube. So a cu- on the, on, also, can I eat that chocolate oh, cookie? Hold on a second. Cuboid... You didn't the, answer my question. Uh, uh, yeah, you can. Thanks. Please please do eat, eat the cookie You can you have made. the raisin one. Okay, hold on a minute. Cuboid is an adjective and it's a noun. Right. So what we looked at previously was the noun definition. This is the adjective definition of cuboid, having a shape that is approximately like a cube. Oh. So it's cube-shaped. That's okay. what cuboid means. Okay. Okay, so... A I bat- apologise for doubting you. It's all right. Uh, um, I do this for a living. Uh, <laughs> I have a particular set of skills. Um, a cube... So a, a Battenberg cake, yes, you could describe it as cuboid. Um, you but could. But I just automatically think of a cube though if you say cuboid i just think of okay like a um you know like a box is cuboid but um oh jesus so how would you describe the shape of a uh, battenberg it's like a three-dimensional rectangular cake <laughs> succinct <laughs> i don't know uh oh, this is a really good question what's the adjective for a three-dimensional object that is long and yet cuboid. Long cuboid. Are we sure that oblong is not the correct answer? Oblong, I think, is, is just a, a synonym of uh, rectangle, rectangle. Oh, dear. Oblong. Um, is the, we're looking for the adjective. Oblong. An oblong shake, shape. An oblong shape <laughs> has four straight sides, two of which 
are longer than the other two. So it's a rectangle. So, yeah. But wait a minute. A rectangle, I think we'll find, is an object that has just four right angles in it. So an oblong is specifically rectangular, whereas a rectangle, confusingly, is not. Oblong is a long rectangle. A rectangle is any shape with four right angles in it. A square is a rectangle in which all four sides are the same length. I think the key point that we need to really, really make here is that no English-speaking person knows what the difference is between these things. And therefore, dear listener, it doesn't matter if you do or not. Yeah. As long as you know, you know, what's a square, which is everything, all the sides are the same length, and what's a rectangle, which is like a long square... I think yeah. you'll be. I think you're set for life. I would say that. Let's keep it simple. A square, all four sides are the same length. Yeah. Everyone knows what a square is. Rectangle is just a long square. Let's say yeah. a square with two of the sides are longer. Yeah. An oblong is a synonym of a rectangle. Yeah. Uh, rectangular uh, is the adjective meaning rectangle shaped. Yeah. Uh, then we've got cube, which is a three-dimensional square. Yeah. Let's say like a Rubik's cube. Like a Rubik's as you cube. You said earlier. Uh, the problem is that we can't think of the adjective to describe a, a three-dimensional rectangle. So let's just say three-dimensional rectangle shaped. Yeah. Okay, so a, a Battenberg cake is a three-dimensional rectangular cake. Yes. Or rectangle-shaped cake. Yes. <sighs> could be a cube, though, once you've got it down to size. <laughs> when you chop, when you cut it. <laughs> It could become. Have you a just made a really short one? But one of the maybe the, the one of the, the sort of outstanding features of a Battenberg mm. is that when you cut into it, it looks a bit like a window. Oh, nicely right? described. When I was a child, we used to call it window cake. Oh, that's so sweet. Because it's like a, a cake with four panes in it. Panes, yeah, panes P- of glass. P a n e s. Panes of glass. Not ow. That kind of pain. There's no pain involved in a Battenberg cake. It depends how much you like almond. Yeah, and the color. Or if you're allergic to it. Yes. If you have a nut allergy, then it could be... Maybe it could be painful. Oh, dear. We've lost everyone. We had, I mean, they, they were long, long ago. There's just, skeleton, long, long there's just ago. skeletons with headphones on now. <laughs> um, have you made Battenberg? I've never made Battenberg. I'm, I'm not a cake maker. I'm much more of a cake eater than, than a, a cake maker. So I haven't made Battenberg. But how do you make it? How do you get the four different squares? Well... Sorry, listeners. Imagine a window with four panes of glass in it, mm-hmm. right? Okay, fine. Go um, on. I think you make two long, thin cakes uh, in a loaf tin. Mm-hmm. A loaf tin is just a rectangular tin. <laughs> Let's move on quickly. Keep, keep going. <laughs> uh, you'd make Traditionally, there'd be pink and yellow Battenberg cakes, right? Right. So you'd make one pink one and one yellow one. Mm. So then you end up with these two long rectangles of cake. I think you'd cut each one in half. So you've got two long cubes of cake. And then you'd arrange them so that you've got it in a pattern that goes yellow, pink, yellow, pink. Yeah. And you'd wrap it all around with marzipan. Marzipan is? Almond paste. Almond paste. Sweet almond paste. Sweet almond paste. Um, That you can roll out with a rolling pin and make it really thin. Um, you can make, you can mould marzipan into yeah. all kinds of different shapes. Yeah. So when people get very creative with their cake making mm-hmm. and they've made like a record player out of cake, mm-hmm. it's often all of the bits, specific bits of the record player, like the stylus and, and the, the record on the top are made of marzipan. But marzipan you, or sugar paste. Oh, really? Yeah. 
because sugar paste is easier to color because marzipan is almond colored so it's sort of I, I suppose like pale yellow kind of beige mm. yeah mm. whereas sugar paste is white ah. so you can color it all different colors right okay wow you do know a lot about cake yeah I do yeah um okay how did we get to this this position <laughs> we're talking we're about now? why i moved to france why did you move to france to open a cake shop why don't i have a cake shop yeah why don't you have a cake shop so why don't you have a cake shop <laughs> why don't you have a cake shop luke <laughs> um good question why don't I, why don't i it's one of those anyway yeah it's something i often ask myself i don't have a cake shop because i moved to france i was already a teacher in england um, teaching English as a foreign language for students who came to do intensive courses in England. And then when I moved to Paris, I wanted to open a cake shop. So I worked in a restaurant for two years, um, mostly as a waitress, but I also made cakes for them. Um, and I did that to kind of learn a bit more about the food industry in France and also just to find my feet and settle into Paris. Um, and I found out that in order to be a self-employed cake designer which is what I wanted to do um obviously if you're self-employed you have to declare your taxes and all that sort of thing and you have to choose what sector you're declaring your taxes in and there's only a certain number of fixed sectors and I would have been in the sector of patisserie but you can't declare yourself as um working in patisserie as a self-employed person unless you have passed the French patisserie exams which is called a um, CAP in patisserie. Welcome to France, where you have to jump through many administrative oh uh, hoops in yes. order to get anything done. Yes. Uh, but you, so that leads us to you taking the CAP, yes. the, the, the patisserie exam. Yes. What did you have to do in order to pass the exam? So um, the exam's quite intense um, because lots of people obviously do it for their whole career. So they'll, they'll do sort of two years of training after school and then they'll go and take the exam. Um, so there's two written exams mm -hmm. and then there's the practical exam, which is uh, one day and it's six and a half hours. And you get to the exam and they tell you what you're going to make. And you have to make one viennoiserie, which is what we mentioned earlier, like a pastry. Um, one thing you th using either shoe pastry or puff pastry. One tart and one entremet, the thing that I hate, ah. with the cream and the sponge and the yeah. fruit. Yeah. Um, and you don't know what you're going to make until the day of the exam. So you get there and they say, oh, make these things. So I did my exam a month ago. And I got there and they said, make eight croissants, eight pan au chocolat. That counts as one because it's one batch of pastry. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, 16 eclairs, coffee eclairs, um, one fresh fruit tart with almond filling and one fraisier, which is a type of entremet with um, strawberries and layers of sponge. It's actually not the worst type of entremet. It's quite a nice one. Okay. But you don't get to eat it at the end anyway. Okay. So they said, make all of this stuff. Yeah. And how long did you have to make it? Six and a half hours. And also during the exam, there's two oral exams. So while you're making the cake, yeah. you're also chatting about cake. No, it's worse. While you're making the cake, they'll come over and be like, oh, hi, can I just take you 15 minutes for a, an oral exam? So they take you away from your cooking. Yeah. And you're like, I'm busy making puff pastry. Could, could we not right now? <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm so busy. But you have to. You have to do it. Right. It's a, it's an, it's a long day. It's tough. Yeah. And, and you passed? Um, I got the results today and I oh, did really? pass. Oh, really? Congratulations. Thank you very much. Really, congratulations. That's great. Thank you. You're, yeah. you're only the second person. Who knows? Wow. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Thanks.
thanks. Yeah. I'm a patissier. You're a patissier. You're a fully qualified patissier now. I am. That's amazing. Yeah. You've got a particular set of, you've got a patissier set of skills. <laughs> did you see what I did, listeners? Was that meant to be a pun? Pati- I've got a particular set of skills. You've got a patissier set of skills. Come on. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, yes, exactly. Yeah. Well done. So Thank you. The, is the cake shop in view now or what? Well, after two years working in the cafe that I worked in, which was great and which I loved, then I got back into teaching, which is where we met. And so now I've been teaching again for about three years and I've remembered how much I really like teaching. So I might not mm-hmm. open a cake shop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. I don't know. Okay. Well, you've got that option. Yeah. The point is now I can if I want to. Yes. Which is quite nice because before I definitely couldn't. So. All right. How do you make a croissant? Uh, so first you need to make a pâte levée feuilletée, which in English I think would be rising puff pastry, but we don't really have a name for it. But it's different from puff pastry. I'm sure lots of people will write in now being like, you do have a name for it. It's this. Yeah, like, French this. French people who know will be, ah! Yeah, we just don't have a word for it in English. Or well, Anyway. Okay. Okay. So you have to do that. So it's... Um, Lots of layers of pastry. So you would make a pastry and then you've got to put it in the fridge and then you have to roll out some butter really flat. And then you put that into the pastry and fold the pastry over on top of the butter and roll it all out again. And then you fold it again and then you roll it all out again. You fold it many times and in between each time you put it into the fridge. Uh And that's why there's lots of layers in a croissant. Right. Because it's always been all all been folded through. It's layers, not layers. Not layers. Right, layers. Because I'm not posh. Yeah. Um, And and you're putting butter in every single time you roll it? No, that's just the first time. But there's butter in the first, when you first mix it all together and make the basic pastry, there's butter in that. Mm -hmm. And then you add, oh no, there isn't. Oh yes, no, there is. Mm -hmm. And then you add more butter when you layer it. It's a hell of a lot of butter, isn't it? There's a lot of butter. That's why they're called all butter croissants. Right. <laughs> it, because It's not because they've got lots of butter in it. It's because they've got all the butter in the world <laughs> in them. That's great. That's and, what they're called. And then you, you stick them in the oven at like what kind of temperature? Well, you have to roll them into croissant shape first. Okay, all right, yeah. They don't so, just roll themselves. <laughs> no, sadly not. So you've got, to, you've got to roll out the pastry really flat and then you've got to cut it into triangles. And then you roll the triangle up and it makes a croissant shape. And then that goes in the oven. Yes. What kind of temperature? Oh, about 180 degrees C, I think. All right. Yeah. For, it doesn't take that long to cook. Oh, no. Before it goes in the oven, sorry, it needs to rise. It needs to rise. Yes. Or to prove, if you're using the technical term. Oh, how does it rise then? How do you make it rise? There's yeast in it. Yeast. Mm-hmm. Yeast. Yeah. Which is also what's in bread and makes bread rise. Yeast, he says, saying it again. Is this the first time you've heard the word yeast? No, no, I've Luke. heard yeast many times. <laughs> okay. But maybe they haven't. Right, okay. So I'm making sure that they've heard ye- the word yeast uh, numerous times. Okay, so. okay. Um, yeast. I, I was confused by the expression on your face, which looked like you maybe didn't know what yeast was. No, no, no I'm just putting myself in the shoes of, of, the, That's fair. of the listener. That's totally fine. Yeast. Yeast. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sort of um, active ingredient. Yeah, it's, um, it's a bacteria. Yeah. It's in bread. Yeah. It's the stuff that makes bread rise. Yeah. You all know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And do you want a fun fact? Oh, yeah. So when you, you make croissant, like I said, and then you've got to leave them in a warm place to rise, mm-hmm. and that's called proving. And the reason it's called proving is because it proves that the yeast is working. Ah. Mm-hmm. The proof of the pudding. The proof is in the pudding. That, yeah. I think that's where that expression comes the from. The proof of the pudding. Yeah, I see. Because mm-hmm. the, the expression is the proof of the pudding. The is proof. In the- 
It, oh. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, what is the expression? The, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Yes, but also, isn't the proof is in the pudding an expression? The proof is in the pudding as well. Yeah. Sometimes these idioms, they're just like, when you tell the story of the idiom, it's complete bollocks. Yeah. You know, it's like the proof, because, um, you know, uh, (laughs) if it rose in the cupboard, that meant, that proves, you see, that there was yeast in there. So that's why the the proof is in the pudding. It's like, meh. Sometimes the explanation just doesn't help. No, it doesn't. The proof is in the pudding basically means, how do you know if something's good? You know it's good when it's actually used. Yeah, I think I think you know. How do you know it worked? Because you've seen that the end result was right. I think. Yeah, that's probably what I would use it. Um, as. I feel obliged now to to just um, uh, get an official source here. Proof uh, is in uh, the pudding. Actually, I've got an idiom's dictionary on the shoulder, uh, on the on the shelf behind my shoulder here. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. It means you can only judge if something is good or bad when you have tried it. Ah, that makes sense. So it's like, what do you think? Uh, will uh, will this be a good lesson? Do you think this lesson plan is going to work? Well, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, you know, you've got to just try it. It's the only way to to find out if it's going to work. Yeah. Uh huh. True. Not always true. Some things just shouldn't be tried. You know, <laughs> or some things you just know they're good even before you've tried. Yeah, that's you can true. Be sure, like but my cakes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Are you going through a list of questions for me? I'm having a little look here. All right. Uh, I feel like I'm a famous person. Why? Because you're interviewing me. Everyone is famous in in God's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> that was unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I needed to finish the sentence. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know how. I had a, I had a feeling of like, uh, you know, everyone is, everyone's got a story to tell. That's a much better lesson, I think. That's better, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, okay. So you do stand-up comedy as well. I and, do. And some of my listeners at this point will be thinking, another one. Yeah, I'm sure. Because they've all been on here, haven't they? Well, it just, you know, because I do it and because, you know, I meet a lot of people through doing stand-up. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of stand-up comedians on the podcast. And also because I like to talk to stand-up comedians because they're mm. usually quite funny. Well, you say that. <laughs> and uh-huh. yet, some and yet, of them are not. Some of them really aren't. Well, you know, yeah. it, it, how do you define whether someone's a stand You can be a stand-up comedian or you can be a person who does stand-up. Uh, yeah. Which one? Are you a stand-up comedian or are you someone who does stand-up? It depends how much I'm trying to impress someone. Uh-huh. I think if I'm trying to impress somebody, I would say I'm a stand-up comedian. Or may- well, it would depend on the person I'm trying to impress because sometimes it's more impressive to be like, oh, it's just a thing I do on the side. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's you better know? to downplay it. It's like Bruce Lee said that. Not He wasn't a, <laughs> he wasn't a stand-up comedian. Has he been on the podcast? No, unfortunately. <laughs> He's, uh, yeah. <laughs> he never will be. He never will be now. <laughs> I don't know. Anything's possible, isn't it? Video, well, video, so there say. are videos of him. That's could true. Just play some of the audio of him that is laying true. down some of his wisdom yeah. about being being Bruce Lee and stuff. But no, uh, he said uh, when someone asked him, you know, when they found out that he did Kung Fu and that, oh, you do Kung Fu. This is like when he was in America yeah. before he became famous. Yeah. And they would say, are you any good? And he would say <laughs> no. Because he, uh, he, he knew that if he'd said, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm flipping brilliant then they would think, oh, you arrogant twat, I'm sure you're not yeah. that great. But as if he downplayed it and said, no, nah, I'm not really that good, yeah. then they would know that he was. I see what he means. Well, I think if you say, if you say, no, I'm not that good, 
people either will think, oh, okay, maybe you're just a beginner, or they'll think, oh, you're being really modest. Or if you're... I mean, in my experience, if oh, I don't want to, I don't want to name and shame nationalities. But when you're talking to non-native speakers and you do that, mm. when you're, oh, are you any good? Nah, not really. They're like, oh, you're really bad. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, like in some cultures, the people just say exactly yeah. what they mean. Yeah, that's true. In in the UK, we can be a bit more indirect. So, yeah. but anyway, how how many how many gigs have you done? I don't know. I've lost count now. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's a good sign, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, it's still not a huge amount, though, mm-hmm. I think. Because um, so I started, I started a long time after you. I started, um, I guess, a couple of years ago. No, a year and a, a, year and a bit ago. Yeah. And I did a few gigs. And then my, I think it was my fifth gig or my fourth gig was our work Christmas party. <laughs> Which wasn't in Christ- uh, Christmas, it was in June because um, it got cancelled at Christmas because of strikes. I wasn't there for that one. You were not. Yeah. Otherwise I'd have made you do it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would have <laughs> Having done it. Having never met you before. I, I've done it uh, two or three times now, I so think. So there was, last year we both did it, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, that's right. So yeah. And I think I did it once or maybe twice before that too. Mm-hmm. All right, okay, before we get to the doing comedy to all of your colleagues <laughs> at, the, yeah. at the Christmas party yeah. story... I have to just say, like some one of my listeners. So I, recently, I, I I spoke to Marie Connolly. I spoke to Elspeth mm-hmm. uh, Gratty as yeah. well. And uh, one of the someone wrote somewhere on the internet, you know, under one of under one of the episodes, like, is every anglophone a stand up comedian, or is this just kind of trendy at the moment? So oh, I, I will put the, I'll put the question to you. It's not my question, but uh, is every anglophone a stand up comedian these days? I think decidedly not, mm. but I would say it's a bit trendy, maybe. Yeah, I definitely think so. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I I would say so. I think that uh, I think it's always been quite popular, but certainly in the last I don't know ten to twenty years, mm-hmm. ten years, ten fifteen years, let's say compromise. Go on then. Um, last ten fifteen years, it has grown more and more popular. And uh, people seem quite ready to, to do it. It's like, basically, comedy's seriously popular in the English-speaking world. Yes. In the UK. Let's talk about the UK, because that's yeah. what we know. In the UK, stand-up comedians are, uh, you know, really, really popular. They're like, yeah. on the same level as, as bands, music and stuff, you know? Yeah, you can, yeah, you can make a really successful career out of it yeah definitely. You, you can and everyone's got their favorite comedians mm. everyone loves to watch stand-up comedy on tv especially with shows like live at the apollo and, yeah. and other things so stand-up comedy is definitely a big part of our popular culture mm-hmm. uh, and so as a result lots of people want to do it you know and they think in terms of stand-up comedy people are constantly yeah. thinking of stand-up comedy material mm-hmm. even if they've never done stand-up mm-hmm. people are i'm sure people are often thinking, oh, I've got to do stand-up. Or there's an open mic night at the pub. Do you want to, you should yeah. go down, Simon. And Simon's <laughs> like, oh, oh, really? You think so? You know, so yeah. there's a lot of that going And then up. Simon crashes and burns yeah. on his first gig. Yeah, or he has, he goes up and he does his first gig and he thinks it's amazing, but actually it wasn't. Yeah. You know, there's lots of possibilities. Simon might well do that. Yeah. But anyway, so what possessed you... Let me let me simplify this. Well, let me simplify this question. Why did you choose then to stand up in front of rooms full of strangers mm. to try and to make them laugh? I decided to do it. I've been I've been thinking about it for a long time. Actually, I was thinking while you were describing 
the status of stand-up comedy in the UK that I probably not one of those people who's always been a big comedy fan i actually haven't followed that many comedians you don't know jasper carrot for example i don't know jasper carrot <laughs> for example although now that you're saying it i'm wondering if i have heard that name anyway i'm sure my dad will know who it is sorry that very makes you feel really old no, i don't care the 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 reason i mentioned jasper carrot by the way is because he he lived just in the same village as me that's oh. that's the only reason i mentioned him okay it's that's not fair. because he is like a great hero of mine fine he's, i thought he's good but anyway so you were never a huge comedy fan growing up. Not particularly. But then I used to, we listened to BBC Radio 4 um, throughout my childhood. And they've always got comedy shows, some of which are awful. <laughs> Absolutely awful. Yeah. But then there's the odd one that's really good. Um, I don't, do you listen to Radio 4? Yeah, I listen to a bit, but th- these days I can't. Is it too much news? Yeah. And, oh, I don't know. I can't get into the politics. But yeah, I just it's feel overwhelming. like it's... Th- it's not that Radio 4 covers too much politics. It's that, I don't know, I don't, it's the, I don't, I'm not so keen on the way they cover it these days. Mm. But I, I like to actually listen to Radio 5. I like to hear people uh, chatting about sport and stuff. But, but anyway. That's easier. So Radio sometimes. 4, they do have Radio a lot 4, of comedy. They do have, and they have some really good comedy shows. The News Quiz is very good, mm. which is just a quiz about the news. And it's always got four comedians on it and one host. And also, I really like The Unbelievable Truth. I've heard of this. It's really good. They have to, so you have a topic and you have to do a little monologue about the topic. You prepare it in advance. And in the topic, you have to, sorry, in your monologue, you have to include five truths and everything else has to be false. Right. And the other contestants have to find, have to identify your truths. Okay, so you're sort of telling telling a monologue about sharks or something. Mm. Four of the bits of information you say about sharks are true and one of them isn't true. No, everything else is not true. Oh, one of the things is true. No, so there's five bits of truth in your monologue about sharks. But your monologue will last like two or three minutes. So there's lots and lots of information, but only five of of the pieces of information are true. Uh, Okay. So, So they say really outrageous things that are obviously not true. Like 70% of sharks are, are gay. Exactly. Which, I mean, how could we know if that was true? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> how would we test that? Um, and then, so obviously everyone knows that one's not true, but then... Could it be true? Anyway. anyway it could be true. Let's of course say, it could. Okay, let's say it's an example of one of the things that's, that's obviously not true. Yeah. Okay. And then they'll try and, then they'll say something that is true, but it's obviously got to be something that seems like it's false. So they're always finding really strange information. So the only one I can remember was a monologue about cheese. And one of the true pieces of information was cheese is the most stolen food in the world. Right. And they sort of bury this information in a monologue about other, in in a little section about like people stealing food, for example, or people stealing cheese. And they'd sort of like slip it in and try and get it past the other contestants. Right. And the, uh, the contestants have to pay very close attention. Yes in order to make sure that they are not being told you know that, that to make sure that they are identifying the things that are not true or things the that things that true. are true for god's sake two I one like... i did a two one i got a two one at university <laughs> you've mentioned that a lot <laughs> yeah i haven't got over it yet um i think you should just listen to the show it's really funny yeah. it's presented by david mitchell who's very funny yeah so that was my most of my exposure to comedy was radio shows mm-hmm not that much television and almost never live stuff. 
And then after I moved to Paris, I went to a couple of the English speaking shows here. I feel like in Paris, since I got here, it's sort of the scene died down a bit. And then recently it's had a big resurgence. Everyone, when you arrived, everyone's like, shh. <laughs> Kate, Kate Billington. Don't here. let her hear us. No comedy for a while. Don't invite her. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there was, uh, who was I talking to about this? Marie, I was talking to about mm. this, that there were several, there were waves, like the first mm. big wave, and then sort of, you know, probably Paul Taylor kind mm. of broke off and became quite successful. And for some reason, I don't know what happened. But no. uh, yeah, it, it yeah. sort of, it died down a bit. And then uh, the second wave was was you and some of the am others. Am I second wave? This is I like feminism so. all over again. <laughs> Which wave of feminism am I in? So now I feel like in terms of stand-up in Paris, mm. I think you are probably, I don't know, maybe no, second? I think this, is it second? second or is it third Could now? be third. I don't know. Anyway, I've, I've lived here for five years. When I first moved here, there were a few English comedy nights happening. And then they seemed to stop. I didn't go very regularly. And then, yeah, they seem to stop for a while, most of them. And then in the last few, maybe in the last year or so, there's been a resurgence. Yes. I would argue. Yes. So I got the idea into my head a couple of years ago and wanted to do it. And then I listened to a podcast a lot called The Guilty Feminist, mm-hmm. um, which is my favorite podcast. My friend Amber Minogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, is constantly trying to get me to listen to podcasts mm. and never listen to any of the podcasts she recommends. Even though she recommends <laughs> that one, she recommends um, My Dad Wrote a Porno. Excellent. Uh, she recommends tons of stuff and I'm terrible. I just never listen to them. So sorry, Amber. Keep trying though, please. I like it when you try yeah. to, to make me listen to podcasts. Amber, I think we should be friends and then we shouldn't freeze out Luke until he listens to The Guilty I think feminist. you're right. I think you're right. It is excellent. Yeah. And so they talk about how there's not enough women in comedy. And I was like, it's so true. There's not enough women. And then I was like, oh, I'm, I'm one of those. So a woman, a woman. <laughs> so yeah. I suppose I should just give it a go. Yeah. So I did. And uh, my first gig went really well, considering it was a first. Also, I was trying to impress someone I fancied. Yeah. Who said it seemed really cool to try and do stand up. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll do it. And then the next time we meet, then I'll be able to be like, oh, I do stand up now. It's so cool. And, uh, and that'll be it. And then we'll get married. Right. Didn't work. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. But that was sort of the final push, I think, mm-hmm. that made me like, oh, I'm going to do it now. Yeah. And then before lockdown, one of my friends in comedy decided to start a show and he asked me if I'd like to host it with him. And I said yes, which obviously led to me doing a lot more shows because I was hosting. Mm. And that's the comedy croissant. The comedy croissant. He named it the comedy croissant, not knowing that I was studying patisserie. It was it was perfect. It was meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. And then I said, maybe I can make croissant and bring them to our first show. And he was like, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So anybody who's listening in Paris, look, keep an eye out for the comedy croissant when it starts again. Yeah. I went to one. pandemic. I went to one. It was, it's since my daughter was born, I've kind of like taken my foot off the gas in terms of comedy and sort of mm. don't get out very much, you know, anymore. Well, certainly I've not. I've heard that children do that to you. Yeah, they do. They kind of, yeah, they're sort of like really needy and stuff. Awful. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, so I, but I did come down to one of the comedy croissants just before lockdown came in mm. and it was great. It was really good. I'm very proud of the comedy yeah, croissant. Doing a great job of hosting the show. Thank you. What makes a good comedy show? The host needs to make the audience want to laugh. So sometimes you go to show, shows where the host 
maybe their brand of comedy will be a bit kind of a bit negative or quite a bit of a downer, I would say. Or a bit aggressive sometimes. A bit aggressive, yes, that happens. Yeah, where it's a bit confrontational and the audience are like on the defensive. Yes. Uh Uh-huh, so, yeah. I think that's a bad idea. I think a good host is somebody who like lightens things up in between. And sometimes that's really hard. We've been quite lucky in that we've never had anybody who's done a set that I found kind of offensive or problematic but that does happen sometimes that people might tell very offensive jokes Mm -hmm. and I think if I were the host coming on after that I'd want to kind of get the audience to move past it and yeah clear the air yeah yeah so your job as the host as you come on stage between Mm -hmm. each performer Mm -hmm. so they let's say each performer does 10 minutes or whatever Mm -hmm. and then you come back on to do a Mm -hmm. couple of minutes yeah your job is to kind of reset the room back to oh we're in a happy place again ready to laugh yeah yeah if necessary if necessary but we do the night we do is an open mic night which means anybody can sign up Mm -hmm. um we do have a running order decided in advance Mm -hmm. um and then we have three walk-on spots on the day but yeah it's an open mic which means um it could be people performing for the first time or you know we don't say no to anyone um in theory, <laughs> I feel like there's some people yeah, who would yeah, say no to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so the standard obviously really varies, which is a really important part of comedy. People have got to come and try out different jokes and different ideas. And I, I, I really value that. Yeah. Yeah, it's wonderfully yeah. sort of, uh, it's a wonderfully blank canvas stand up. Mm. It's just like, there you go, you've got 10 minutes. Yeah. Your, your, your job is to make these people laugh. Yeah. Don't steal anyone else's jokes. <laughs> okay. Uh, go for it. And then you've just got to like come up with stuff. Yeah. Um, the the hackneyed journalist question is like, where do you get your ideas from? <laughs> I get my ideas from mostly just sort of talking to myself at home alone, which I do a lot. Mm-hmm. And I spend a lot of time ranting about things. And then sometimes I realise that rant could actually be a joke. So I think my style of comedy is sort of like telling a story or an anecdote or talking about something that I've been thinking about and kind of dropping the jokes into the story or into my monologue. Yeah. Instead of being like, here's a joke and here's the punchline, mm-hmm. which isn't really, it can be great, but it's just not the way I do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah, totally. So mm-hmm. you're literally at home speaking out loud. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and what are you talking about? Oh, it depends. Everything. Just like, oh, the patisserie course today, blah, 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 yeah. blah. As you, you, you say these things out loud. Yeah. And vocalising them, yeah. S- somehow, it, yeah, it, it, it helps you to uh, come up with funny ideas. Yeah. Yeah. That, often that's that's all you need to do, isn't it? It's just like so. put things into words. Just put your thoughts yeah. into words. And it's hard to know where the funny stuff comes from. Sometimes yeah. it's just sort of seems to be natural. Like some people just are able yeah. to just put a funny little twist on it maybe all those years listening to radio 4 your parents are probably quite funny yeah they are funny yeah, yeah. that's true yeah it's a uh, it's one of those things also in in terms of running a show mm. you've got other things to take into account too like the space yes yes so what do you have to think of regarding the space well right now um how can we can we have more than one person in this space no it's not allowed anymore it's not allowed <laughs> yeah yeah but when you were running it uh, yeah. Uh, well, when th- this is one of the challenges to me post um, lockdown, when everyone's trying to get life back to normal, and, and it's obviously not going to happen for a long time. Um, but one of the challenges about comedy is 
for me, the hallmark of a successful comedy show used to be that everyone was really packed into the space and it was standing room only. And um, and we always, at the Comedy Croissant, I think we've done really well. We built up a really good reputation. And right from our first show, we always had a really full room. How did you get so many people in the room? When you say standing room only, that means... Yeah. That means that all the seats are full. Yeah. And the only other space available is if you stand up at the back. Yeah. Right. That's what you mean. Exactly. It doesn't mean everyone's standing up watching no. the show. Um, how did you how did you always get so many people in the room? Because that's that's yeah. the thing that I hate having to do. Yeah. Fill the room. Marketing and how did you get people in? So the first few shows, um, I got a lot of people from work, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah. Um and I've got kind of a, a few different friendship groups in Paris, many of whom are very up for supporting comedy nights and like willing to come and watch me do whatever stand up shows I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first night that we did, I managed to drag about 30 friends to come and watch it. So that was good friends and work friends, colleagues. Yeah. Um, and then Terence, my co-host, also dragged a bunch of people and some of the comedians came like some of the comedy scene in Paris came as well even if they weren't performing yes to check out the new nights yeah and yeah we just kind of kept advertising we have an, an instagram and a facebook and our final show before lockdown i think it was very full and um i would say about 75 percent of the audience said they'd never been before and they didn't know anybody who was performing wow so it's just like that's that's great i know really i was good. amazed it was only about our sixth show because we only do it every two weeks yeah and um yeah we've i mean maybe the words got out about the free croissant maybe that's it <laughs> maybe that was it but yeah. anyway it was really good really really, I'm really glad that you liked it yeah yeah i was really impressed i can't wait to do it when it yeah, finally comes back i yeah. can't wait for it to come back i really want to get back and on stage and do yeah. comedy again i really miss it yeah please come back i'd like to just start again because okay. I've got all my material that's tired and old. Oh, and yeah. Don't, I've done it see, so... This yeah, is something that, trap that annoys that me about yeah. comedy, about when you see the same comedian several times and it's always the same jokes. Yeah. But don't it's hard. be that person. Well, it's, when you get to a, a point where, I mean, it's going to sound like I'm bigging myself up now, mm. but I got to a stage where... So what happened is... When so, did you start comedy? 2009. Oh, okay. So I've been doing it for quite a long time but there was a period Mm. in london so i started in 2009 at the end of the year and i was gigging quite a lot for a couple of years and then i sort of like stopped doing it a bit and i was only doing it once a month and that was in london that was in london Uh and then came to paris and uh immediately discovered like the little burgeoning scene in english which was wonderful Mm -hmm. i got really involved in that i was gigging constantly all the time and then probably when my daughter was born but also when some of the shows stopped I don't know yeah. why the show stopped, but the scene sort of just just fractured a little bit. Yeah, it seemed to. About three years ago? Yeah, exactly. When yeah. some of the key people who were running shows went off and did their own shows. Okay. And everyone started doing solo shows. And if you really want to make it in France, mm-hmm. in front of French people, mm-hmm. you have to do your own show. Yeah. Um, and you have to start appealing to French audiences. Yeah. And if you are serious, you've got to apply for... The um, the artist's uh, status yes. here, the intermittent de spectacle, which is um, when the government actually subsidizes you as a com- as a performing comedian. Mm-hmm. And if you need, if you want to get that status, mm-hmm. you need to be performing regularly in French too. Yeah. Okay. So people like Sebastian Marx and Paul Taylor sort of 
focused on doing their own shows and they both yeah. performed in French as well. And there were some other people trying to do that too. And the scene kind of like splintered a little bit. And I had my daughter and suddenly I wasn't going out all the time to little yeah. shows that were starting up. What, what I was doing is the only shows I was, I was doing was I was opening for Paul Taylor at, oh, okay. at his big venue. So I, I opened for him at the Casino de Paris in front oh, of cool. over a thousand people. Nice. And I was opening for him at La Nouvelle Eve just up the road. Uh-huh. You know, big venues. And it's like, you know, I've got to do five or ten minutes and it's got to be solid. Yeah. And I'm doing it in front of French people who won't understand my rambling in- improvisations. No. So I've got, got to get my slick 10, 15 minute. Mm-hmm. Your tight 10. Yeah, I've got to get my tight 10 or 20 if that's necessary, mm. you know. And so I got that and that's solid. And I was doing a show with Paul actually when his video first became like okay. a viral. I, I have to admit now, I've, I've never ever seen any of his stuff. Yeah, I know yeah. who he is, but I've never watched yeah, any yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but he's very successful. He's very France, successful. Think, yeah. Exactly. That's the thing. And he does a lot of French as well, doesn't he? Yeah, it's 50 50 pretty okay. much. Um, but I was doing a show with Paul and Paul had, had given up his job. His, his, he'd really gone mm. for comedy uh, full time. Listeners, I'm sorry if you've heard this story many times. <laughs> I'm fascinated. I haven't yeah. heard it. Uh, and um, so I was doing a two man show with him. It was 30 minutes me, 30 minutes him. Oh, great. But I was still working. I was working really hard teaching at the British Council, teaching mm-hmm. at university, doing the podcast and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was already like spread out over all these different things. Yeah. But Paul was like focused entirely on the comedy and like <laughs> he took off like yeah. this. And I, I was just knackered. I was just tired. <laughs> like I would, I would turn up to our show. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, oh God, I'm so tired. Yeah. And of stressed out because I was unprepared. And Paul had been spending the day with his post it notes, getting his set ready. Yeah. And um, so it was just, it was a bit exhausting and a bit punishing. Um, but, uh, but I got 30 minutes that were solid. And sometimes I was doing an hour if Paul wasn't mm-hmm. available. And I was like, you know, it was good. But then I realized that I'd sort of lost the ability to do the stuff I really enjoy doing, which okay. is improvising and just making stuff up yeah. as I go and t- trying out new material. I couldn't yeah. do new material anymore because yeah. all the gigs I was doing, I felt like the, the, the stakes were too high. Or there yeah. was too much pressure. I had to like do solid material. And so suddenly I could only do that material mm-hmm. and soon and I wasn't completely happy with it. And I was kind of like going through the motions sometimes mm. telling stories on stage about my life five years ago, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, a lot of self deprecating stuff, putting myself down about how terrible my French is and how, what a loser yeah. I am, <laughs> you know? And so the joy kind of fell out of it yeah. for me a little bit, but I, I'd love to come back and just try doing some stupid stuff again you can definitely try stupid stuff at the comedy croissant we're, we're all for stupid stuff great we love it improvise your heart out okay good we'll just get this bloody virus out of the way and well there is that yeah it's, yeah. it's not we're not going to be doing it before the spring no, no way no 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 right finally oh okay we, we, we teased this before are we done uh, we go on pretty much um oh i've got to go and pick up my daughter soon it's a good reason it's all right um, we talked, we mentioned this before about, uh, doing the Christmas party at work. Oh yeah. So, uh, how was that for you? Let's just listeners to set the scene. This is all of the staff at our mm. school, mm. the teachers, the administrative staff. It's everyone. about 200 people. It's probably about 200 people. Not all of them were there, but like no. a large room full of everyone that we work with. 
and yeah. and they're like, oh, you do stand up. You've got to do. You've got to do it. You come in. Yeah. You do it. And we're like, oh, okay, because you don't want to be a spoil sport. So, but imagine like you don't want to necessarily say the wrong thing or make a fool of yourself <laughs> because you'll you know you'll you have to see these people every day. Yes. So, how did you feel? How was it for you? So the first one, as I said, was I think my fourth ever gig. And it was Linda, who we know and love, who organises the social events, who came to me the day before the Christmas party, because two days before I did an open mic night and loads of people from British Council came to watch it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. they enjoyed my set and they went and said to Linda, oh, Kate was really good at the open mic night. So then she came to me and said oh, I wonder if you'd be willing to save my life and perform at the Christmas party because I haven't got anybody to perform. It's more like this. You've got to do it. I know. It is. It is. Um, but she hadn't... I think you often... Well, maybe you've done it before. Once or twice before. Okay. I can't remember. And I think there was a musician who'd done it a few times because it's just performance, you know, just entertainment. It doesn't have to be a comedian. Yeah. Yeah. And the musician wasn't going to be available. So she had nothing. So she sort of twisted my arm and persuaded me to do it, at which point I then had to write enough material to fill I ended up doing 20 minutes I think um which was a lot and the well you've talked about kind of wanting to say the right thing and and not offend anybody or anything I started with a joke that was uh, well with a a game that was called um uh, what was it called oh first lines and it was things that teachers had said to me during our first ever conversation and I would say the thing and everyone had to guess which teacher had said it and there was some quite controversial stuff in it. You know, what's impressive about that is that you, first of all, remembered <laughs> specifically what each teacher yeah. had said to you first. Yeah. Because uh, if I tried to do that, I'd, I'd just get it wrong. I'd, well, just go, I'd just go up and say, guess which teacher said this to me? And then I'd say, no, it was Chris. And then Chris is like, I didn't fucking say that. <laughs> you know, that's what, yeah. happened, that's what would happen to me. Yeah. I did have one from Chris, which was, what are you drinking? Okay. Everyone guessed that that was Chris. Really? Yeah. And um, so part of the joy is people guessing, obviously. Yeah, and right. the only reason I played the game was because Julia, are we allowed to name people? I don't. Well, it depends what you're going to say. Well, it's been said in front of lots of people now. She, but she's an important senior manager. And mm. she said to me, um, I said something about somebody who gone on maternity leave. And she said, oh yeah, there's a lot of pregnant people here. Uh, if you don't get pregnant in your first year, we send someone from customer services to do it. Wait a minute. There's a lot of pregnant people here. If you don't get pregnant in your first year, we send someone from customer services to do it. Indeed. Okay. <laughs> it's funny. What my manager said to me in our first conversation. She was obviously being funny. She was just, <laughs> she jo- was joking. She's just joking. Well, yeah. so far, I've had no news, so I think she was just joking. You check your spam inbox. <laughs> oh, that's a check good Check your point. spam. There might be an email. Uh, we noticed that uh, you haven't be, you, you're not pregnant yet, um, so we're sending, I don't know, Dave... From customer service. <laughs> there is no guy called Dave at customer I do, service. I wouldn't know. Yeah. Do well, you know for no, sure? I don't know. Though. I haven't been contacted. <laughs> yeah. You're not pregnant yet? Uh, no, not Outrageous. me. Uh, no. But it, 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 it went well. Yes, it went very well. And it was great because everyone's expectations were very low. <laughs> so I could only exceed them. Yeah. And it was my first year working there. So I, a lot of people had no idea who I was. People are nice as well. People are nice. Yeah. So it was great. And then the second year, um, I decided to take some more risks and played the game. Yeah. Do you remember the game? I do. I do. Wasn't it like who? uh, Oh Oh my God. You tell it. Well, the game was called British Council or Hitler. And I'd say a line, a quote, and everyone had to guess whether the quote was from 
British Council official materials or from Hitler? British Council official materials, meaning like... Um, official email or the website. This is, this is controversial, <laughs> Kate, because the British Council is, is uh, very... Our uh, employer? Very, yeah, they're our employer, <laughs> but they're also very cautious about, um, I don't know, what internal communications are um, shared with the, pub, with the public. And also, I'm... I'm aware that some listeners are now going, you can't talk about Hitler. I know. Uh, in some countries, that's really an, uh, a, a is, taboo. A it is taboo, taboo, yeah. But, you know, not, not, not in the UK. We love to talk no. about Hitler, don't we? I know. It, Sorry, it becomes, everyone. Yeah. Too, much, too common a joke in some ways. But yeah. yes. So I, I would say, I don't know, your, your thinking seems to be you need to try not to avoid, not to offend people. But I've sort of gone the other extreme. I'm, I'm a bit like, how far can I go without getting fired? I just feel like, I don't know, I don't mean to make grand statements, maybe it's just you specifically, mm. I just feel like you specifically can get away with it more. <laughs> I don't know, I just feel like, especially... It's the cake, it's the cake. Some, in, some, in some environments, in some working cultures, mm. it's unwise for me to go up in front of everyone <laughs> and start throwing around jokes that could be taken the wrong way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's best to make fun of yourself, which is what I, tend I do to that do. too. You do, you do that. You certainly do. Yeah. yeah, you do. You've got some some stories about yeah. your, your adventures. Um, True. But it went well. This is the it conclusion. did go well. Yes. As did your sets. Yeah, yeah, it was all right. But I, you know, I'm always stressed before I do comedy. That's interesting. Almost You've been doing it for almost 10 always. Years. Yeah, but you know, it, years. it depends. Actually, I'm not always stressed. So there are times mm. when I'm not. The times when I'm not is when I've done comedy regularly. Mm. Uh, maybe it, it, times when I'm not stressed are when I've recently done quite a lot of comedy. Okay. If I haven't done it for a while and it feels like the first gig again. Yeah. Um, especially, especially in front of all my colleagues. But if I've been, <laughs> if I've done it like a couple of nights that week. Or maybe okay. I've already done comedy somewhere that evening and mm-hmm. then you go somewhere else mm-hmm. and do another gig. Mm-hmm. That's the best. Oh, really? The, I've the, never done that. Oh, that's amazing. I've, I, there was a period here in Paris where there were suddenly loads of comedy nights in English yeah. and I was able to do that. I was like doing a spot at this show and then racing across town with some of my friends mm-hmm. to the So Gymnase uh, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. to host a show there and already being in the comedy zone mm-hmm. and taking the stage and just, you know, it's like, this show yeah. goes really well because yeah. sometimes in a comedy show when you're the host it, everyone's cold everyone takes time to warm up mm. but if you're already there in the zone then it's brilliant yeah but um, do you think you need to be a bit nervous for it to be good i don't know i don't okay. know I, I, uh, maybe yeah maybe inside i i sort of have to suffer maybe there's something <laughs> inside me which says no luke you have to suffer before you succeed or have fun mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know what that is um yeah, I don't. I try. I don't want to be nervous, but it's just my body's like now. You will be nervous. Yes, but I don't think. I mean, I don't think anybody wants to be nervous, and that's always how it works, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're the exception to that rule. Yeah, what I'm trying to say is that uh, I mean, it happens to everyone. Nerves just mm. come in, and it's just like a physical thing, mm. more than a, a mental thing. I feel. Yeah. So I remember my first ever stand-up gig going to to the venue. Mm-hmm. I was so nervous that. The, the gig went fine. As soon as I got onto sta- on stage, I was like loose and relaxed. It was fine. Great. But going there, like my, my neck wouldn't move. Yeah. And I was like crossing the road and I had to turn my entire body <laughs> like Robert De Niro. 
<laughs> to look left and right, you know, like my whole body turning like that because I was so rigid with nerves. Getting wow. onto the getting onto the train like <laughs> sitting down just so so like a plank of wood. Damn. <laughs> and then you get on stage and it's all right because yeah. then it's like, okay, now I'm, I can I can actually do it now. Yeah. It's the it's the beforehand that, Definitely. that's the difficult bit. And that's true of lots of things though. Yeah. The anticipation is worse than the the thing itself. Yes, I think so. Like blood tests. <laughs> Very different kind of fear. Yeah. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Kate, we could keep talking for ages. I know. I feel like I always do. I must have you back on the podcast at some point because we could just talk and there's plenty of other things we could do. We could come back with fixed topics. We could. Because it's been a bit of a ramble. Oh, yeah. I like a ramble. Me too. Very much so. Yeah. Uh, I just hope that uh, my audience does. Half of them are like, yeah, we love rambles. The other <laughs> half are like, I don't know what's going on. What's I'm happening? Not. The other half are skeletons. Yeah. Now, or they just stop listening. More likely. F- sort of 90 minutes ago or something. Yeah. How long is an episode normally? <laughs> Depends. This one will be a, a corker, won't it? It's going to go on for a while. It'll be a solid... T- yeah, it could be a good old one, one hour, 45 minute. Blimey. Job. Yeah, I know. I know. And so it, it goes against all the logic. <laughs> all the rules. All the received wisdom of English teaching. Yeah. Everything has to be delivered in 15 minute chunks. You have to speak slowly, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I just sometimes think to myself, to hell with that. I think you're quite right. Because otherwise, what am I going to do? Cut out some of the gold that we've. That, that bit when I said maked. <laughs> maked? No, I can't. can't cut that. I can't cut anything out. Cut any out. gold. Yeah. I can't cut things out, really, can I? What am I going to do? Split it into two episodes? No, that's no. far too confusing for the audience. Nobody wants that. Two episodes. Ah, people do. Whenever I split things into two episodes, I look at my podcast stats. The second episode, it's always got way more <laughs> than the first one. I'm like, do you understand numbers? That's because people um, just listen to the most recent one. Yeah, exactly. Isn't it? Exactly. And they shouldn't. Because if they only listen to them, mm. the, if they only listen to part two without listening to part one, then they won't enjoy it as much. Mm, they that's should. True. They have to listen to part one first. Uh, for for it to make sense and at the beginning of part two do you make a strict announcement about yes. that i say this is part two um of a two-part series so if you haven't heard part one yet listen to part one first because that's how numbers work anybody joining the podcast at this point is going to be very confused yeah but no one starts listening <laughs> no one starts listening i will listen to episode end. 600 and blah blah and i'm gonna skip forwards <laughs> Because Luke's introductions can be a bit long. <laughs> I'll skip all the way to 90 minutes in. That's probably where the, where the, the actual content is. Where the good stuff is. Yeah, mm. that's fair. Mm. <laughs> Kate, thank you very much for coming. Thank you for talking to us. And thank you very much for the cookies. They very are delicious. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been a delight. It's been my first podcast experience. Well, great. I've loved every minute of it. Yeah, it's fun, isn't it? It is fun. You'll be starting your own podcast next. I actually might. I think I've got enough to do, if I'm honest. Yeah, you've got loads of things to do and stuff. But anyway, yeah. it's there. Great. Great. Thank, Thank you. you. So that was Kate Billington in an epically long conversation. Thanks again to Kate. And um, so hello, you. Hello, listeners. Hello, dear listener. You made it until the end. Nice one. How was that for you? I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If this episode was a cake, what kind of cake do you think it would be? Hmm, maybe a long fruit cake? Rich, quite heavy, fruity, made in the run-up to Christmas, 
very British and best enjoyed with copious amounts of brandy. Or maybe you found it more like a Victoria sponge cake, light, fluffy, sweet and Moorish. Or perhaps a Battenberg cake. It looks like one solid whole thing, but when you get into it, you realise it's made up of lots of different sections. Anyway, thank you for listening all the way up to this point. Let us know your thoughts or reactions by writing something in the comment section on the website. Here are some questions. How was this episode for you? Did you learn anything from it? Do you have any specific questions about vocab that came up? Do you have any thoughts that you would like to share? And just do you have any thoughts in general in your head? I hope so. I don't know. Maybe you're just now after nearly two hours of this, you're just like, uh, like a vegetable. I don't know. I hope that you have actual thoughts occurring. If you do, what are they? Share them in the comments section. Hopefully thoughts related to this episode. Maybe it would just be something like, oh, I'd like to eat some cake now. Mm, that's fine. Check out the page for this episode on my website where you will see things like transcriptions for my introduction and this ending bit, plus pictures of most of the cake types and some pastry types that we talked about. So we've got Victoria sponge, uh, fruit cake, Battenberg cake, also known as window cake, plus some lovely French things like croissants and pan au chocolat and more. Croissant. How do you say croissant in your language? In English, we would say, some English people say croissants, but I think it's croissant. And the thing is that in French, the plural of croissant, one croissant, the plural is croissant. But in English, the plural of croissant is croissants. Anyway, I'm just saying that for my French listeners who heard me say croissants and thought, what, 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 what was that, Luke? That's the English version, the plural English version. Anyway, you'll see pictures of cakes and some French things like croissant and pan au chocolat and more. So check them out. Kate Billington is on Instagram. Check out Kate's Instagram to see lots of lovely pictures of lovely delicious cakes that she has made. Yum, yum, yum. And indeed, yum. That's Instagram.com slash cake by cake Paris. That's cake underscore by that's by of course underscore cake underscore paris mm. check out the page for this episode to actually see the link if you just can't comprehend what is what i just said to you um see stand-up comedy in paris covid permitting you can check out comedy croissant on instagram and facebook just search for comedy croissant C-R-O-I-S-S-A-N-T, croissant. Um, Comedy croissant on Instagram and Facebook, especially if you're in the Paris area and you'd like to come to one of the shows when they eventually come back. As I record this ending bit, France is again under strict lockdown measures, which may also be the case where you are. We've basically gone into sort of phase two or lockdown two. The second wave in Europe now. But anyway, France is under lockdown again, which means that the comedy shows are not happening for the foreseeable future. But when they're back, which they will be one day, you'll know about it if you follow Comedy Croissant on Facebook. In fact, there are various English language comedy shows in Paris these days, or at least there were until 
bloody COVID came along. You can find information about all the English comedy nights in Paris by going to EnglishComedyInParis.com, a useful website which tells you all the shows. Bonus audio in the Luke's English Podcast app. Luke's English Podcast app users, hello. You're a special breed of listener, aren't you? Well done for choosing the, the best way to listen to Luke's English Podcast. App users, there is a little outtake in the app. That's extra audio, just in case you didn't get enough from this episode. Tap the gift icon that you will see on the screen while listening to this episode, and you'll hear a couple of bonus minutes of Kate and me talking about some blue bookends that I have in my pod room. What are bookends, Luke? Bookends are things that you put on the end of shelves to stop the books falling off. Okay, so you've got your shelves. You don't want the books falling off the ends, so you put these things on the ends. Usually they are rectangular in shape, but also L-shaped because part of the bookend has to go under the books, you see? Uh, so my blue bookends, which you might have seen in my videos, they look a bit like the TARDIS from the TV show Doctor Who. The TARDIS by the way, looks like a blue telephone box. Doctor Who fans or Whovians will know. If you'd like to hear us talking about my TARDIS-shaped bookends and whether I'm a proper Whovian, that's a Doctor Who fan or not, then find the gift icon for this episode in the Luke's English Podcast app and tap it. Another thing is, if you're wondering about posh people, because that was something we mentioned, and how to know if someone is posh or what a posh accent in English look, uh, not looks like, sounds like, and you want to know about that whole gap yard thing, then go to the episode archive and find the posh or not posh episodes that I did. Those are episodes 581, 582, and 584. They should explain everything relating to poshness and how posh people speak. Thank you again to Kate for this episode. Thanks, Kate. Uh, Dear listener, I will speak to you again soon on the podcast in either a free episode or a premium one. And as I keep saying, I'm working on more premium content for you at the moment. And yes, the next part of the Wispolep competition is on its way. I'm working on that too. I've been thinking and thinking and thinking and trying to work out the best option. Thank you for choosing to listen to my podcast. Listeners, dear kind listeners who listen all the way up to the end of the episodes, you are the you're the best. You're the hardcore. Little favour you might want to do for me, if you're feeling up for it, you could leave a nice review for Luke's English Podcast on iTunes. Um, it helps the podcast appear in those recommended lists and things. I've got reviews of the podcast. I've had quite a lot of nice reviews for the podcast over the years, which is great. But um, it's important to keep getting fresh reviews on iTunes. It just generally helps the algorithm. Yes. And also like and subscribe and leave a comment if you're listening to this on YouTube. Consider donating to support the podcast by clicking a donate button on my website. Download the Luke's English Podcast app from the App Store and consider becoming a premium Lepster by going to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info. And finally, please remember to be excellent to each other. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay positive. But for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. 
Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.